Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. So let's pray because this morning I'm going to be sharing for the first time. I've never shared my testimony. This, I know, I'm a pastor and I've never shared my full testimony about me and Kelly. I've given bits and pieces about it. So after today, I'll know what not to share, okay? <laughs> but you guys are going to be that guinea pig. But seriously, I'm praying that God would reveal himself through what I share this morning. Um, so let's pray. God, Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, you existed before time. You don't need anything, you don't need anyone, and yet you created all things. You created us, and one of the greatest mysteries is that you want us to know you. That is an amazing mystery. Every person that has breath, you designed and created to know you. And yet, we all like sheep have gone astray. All of us have turned to our own ways. And we all need a Savior. And the good news is that you laid our sin upon the Lamb of God. And for those of us who have believed, we rejoice in that. Lord, I pray that you would encourage your flock. I also ask that you would add to your flock this morning and that you would be revealed through the story that you've written in my life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was raised in a Christian family, born here in Asheville, North Carolina, in Mission Hospital. Um, this, uh, this picture right here, not that, this picture, this is your boy. Um, my dad, he, was, uh, he grew up in a bamboo hut. Uh, next picture here. The, he grew up in a bamboo hut in Burma, Asia, third world country. Got a medical scholarship to the U.S. Came in 1958. Met my mom, uh, who was born in uh, was raised in Reedsville, North Carolina, uh, Eden area, and had four children uh, there. There's five total. Uh, I'm the I'm the good looking. Uh, uh, little dude there with the uh, polyester reversible jacket. Um, that was very popular back in the 70s. Uh, next shot is a picture of me and my siblings when we were, I think I was, I was at the end of my college career there. But um, when I was growing up, I was, I was a strong-willed child. Um, strong-willed child. People would say I'm argument, I was argumentative, but I disagree. Um, <laughs> My mom said, James, you would argue with a stop sign. I said, no, I would not. Um, and I, you know, I was a, a strong-willed child. And if, if you have a strong-willed, anybody have a strong-willed child? Okay, anybody was a strong-willed child? Listen, we're all strong-willed children, so raise your hand. Come on. But I was, one, I was like an overachiever, okay? And if you are a strong-willed person, you have, let me tell you something. Parents, if you've got a child, We've got this little button inside, right? And we press it 
when opposition comes against us. And it's like an armadillo that rolls up into this like uh, impenetrable uh, 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 shield. And I don't care what you do, you ain't getting in. You're not going to stop me. I remember my dad, one day at church, I was horrible. I mean, it was horrible. And I humiliated my whole family. And uh, my dad brought me home. He said, James, if you ever do that again, I will tie you to your bed. And this is back in the 70s when, when we could discipline our kids. <laughs> I will tie you to your bed and leave, and we'll go to church without you. And I was like, go ahead, make my day. That's, that's the kind of kid that I was. Wouldn't you like to have raised me? Yeah. I also was the class clown. I knew how to make people laugh, and I, I could be extremely obnoxious. I know that's hard to believe. Uh, if you've ever been to my house, we, have, we had neighbors. We have neighbors that are, are literally about an eighth of a mile to a quarter of a mile away. And I remember one time, I shouldn't be laughing about this. Uh, I, I remember one time, our neighbor was out looking for their dog, right? So you hear across the way, Sambo, Sambo. And I'm like, watch this. What? <laughs> Come here, Sambo. No, I don't want to. That's, that's, I was that kind of like obnoxious <laughs> child. But I was also uh, passionately competitive. Uh, I loved to win whatever I was doing, whether it was playing backyard Nerf football with the, with the elementary boys, um, having the best handwriting cursive when, when they used to teach cursive back in the day, uh, or being the first chair trumpet player. I was very competitive. I wanted to win because that's where I found my identity. I wanted to feel like a winner. And so I, I would beat, try to beat whatever was in front of me. I wanted to be the best. And as I've shared before, I was saved at a very early age, at the age of six. I truly believed in Jesus and called out to him at age six. I understood somehow God opened my eyes, and I understood that I needed a Savior, and I called out to him. In my bed, I was alone. It wasn't an altar call. I was by myself. I asked the Lord to save me. And I remember the excitement that I felt, and I told the whole world what had happened. I can remember in first grade, I was uh, at Asheville Christian Academy. A, a, a lady named Miss Roseberry was my first grade teacher, and I told her. I can remember her just giving me a hug. It was the greatest feeling I had ever had when I came to Christ, and I knew that my sins were forgiven. John 3:16 had real meaning. Whosoever believeth in me will not perish. I was like, I will never perish because I have come to Jesus, and He has saved me. I remember being extremely excited. But as you know, if you've come to Christ, there comes a time when that excitement comes down, doesn't it, right? And it caused me to question, wait, am I really saved because those feelings aren't there? And I, and I don't know, and I've told you guys this before, I don't know how many times I asked Jesus into my heart. Because Jesus, if, if you're really not in there, I ask that you would come into my heart. And from first, uh, in kindergarten, I went to R.B. Jones. And then my parents moved out to Fairview, where we're at, and I, we went to Asheville Christian Academy from first grade to uh, fifth grade. And then, and then in the sixth grade, they put us in public school. And that's when puberty kicked in, <laughs> or puberty, whichever way you want to say it. My hormones kick in, right? And that, you know, if you're a teenager, 
uh, and from you know 11, 12, 13 uh, through 18, 19. That's a very difficult time because our bodies are changing, our minds are starting to develop. You're beginning to to um, become independent, which is a good thing, can be a good thing if you're still under uh, godly authority. But I began to be aware of certain feelings inside. Girls started looking a little bit different, and I began to struggle in my mind with things that the scriptures say are only for marriage. And so I would give in to these temptations secretly, and it brought great shame to me. And it caused me to question even more, Man, am I saved? How can a Christian, if I'm a Christian, how can I continue, how can I struggle with sin? Because I didn't want to do what I was doing, but I was, was weak and I was giving into it. At the same time, I was being introduced to different worldviews. You know, in elementary school, everybody's kind of the same, but once you get to 7th and 8th grade, it seems like there's this fork and branches in the road, and everybody starts to come out to who they're going to be as adults. And I realized everybody doesn't have the same worldview. And I began to think, you know, um, I was raised in a Christian home, and I'm a Christian. If I'd been raised in a Buddhist home, I probably would have been a Buddhist. And I began to uh, question my faith. Now, fortunately, by God's grace, I never left my faith. It was shaky. It was like a roller coaster up and down. But I never left my faith all through high school. And when, once I entered into college... Um, my parents, they gave me one of the greatest gifts they've ever given me. It was an NIV study Bible. Now, back in the day, there, was, there used to be only two translations that I knew about. The King James Version, right? Or the New Living Translation. That was all I knew about. And uh, once they gave me an NIV, NIV study Bible, <laughs> man, my redneck is coming out. <laughs> hey! You come up here. Uh, hold on, I just need some water. I used to be the class clown. But uh, they gave me an in, a new international version study Bible. And for the first time, the word of God exploded in my eyes. I, could, I saw things. And uh, I, I spent a lot of times in... A lot of time in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I spent a lot of times, time in the word of Jesus, in his words. And so as I did that, a lot of my questions that I had kind of just evaporated. And I became solely convinced that Jesus, there was no question in my mind that Jesus was real. And what he claimed, that he was the way, the truth, and the life. It was like there was this an awakening when I had entered into college. So I no longer questioned if Jesus was real, but I did question if I was real. That was the question that haunted me from the time I was six years old. At the, at the same time, I was involved in uh, campus ministry at uh, NC State. I was um, involved in a, an organization called FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, where I, was, I had learned to play the keyboard. Keyboards were becoming popular back then, and I learned to play, you know, great worship songs like Pharaoh, Pharaoh, Oh, Let My People Go. I mean, that was a worship song that we sang back then. Uh, we sang Rich Mullins' Awesome God. Our God an awesome. Okay, you sang it too, so good. That's a good one, but I mean, we were singing like, when he rolls up his sleeves, he ain't just putting on the ritz. Hey, we're going to do, hey, you know what, I was t I'm getting off my sermon, but 
We're going to, uh, how about we do an 80s, 90s worship Sunday? Would you guys be up for that? Okay. All right. We're going to do it. So, uh, Proverbs 19.2 says, Desire or passion without knowledge is not good. And whoever makes haste with his feet misses the way. You could have taken that word desire and put James in there. James without knowledge is not good. Because I was a very passionate guy when I was growing up. Um, in some ways, I kind of remind myself of the Apostle Peter before the resurrection. You know what I'm talking about? Remember when he was in the garden with Jesus? Remember? The guards come to arrest Jesus. And, he, and it says, Jesus knowing what was about to happen to him came out. He said, who are you looking for? We're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus says, I am he. And it says in John that the guards fell back onto the ground by him saying that. Now, evidently, the guards get up, dust themselves off, and they come at Jesus again. And there's Peter. Oh, Peter. What does Peter do? I'll save you, right? So he pulls out his sword, and he thinks in his mind, I'm going to save the Savior from saving the world. Think about if, if Peter had, had followed through, right? He would have messed up all this. We couldn't even sing these songs, right? But he goes with his sword, and he wham, what? Cuts off a dude's ear. That is lame, right? Oh, he can't hear you now. I mean, what's... I mean, I'm like, what was Jesus doing? Kind of like, yeah, one of my top guys right over here. He's like, Peter, put down the sword. And G what does Jesus do? He goes and cleans up Peter's mess, doesn't he? Touches the guy's ear. The word used there, I was told, it means he created a new ear for that guy. He healed the guy. Jesus didn't need Peter, but he was passionate and reckless. And uh, sometimes that's how I could be. Um, I can still be that way, but it was not, not nearly like I was at that age. And I, you know, I, I, I would use terms like, man, I want to be on fire for Jesus, right? I want to be a, a blazing bonfire for Jesus 24-7. I listen to guys like Keith Green. Y'all remember Keith Green? I love the passion of this man, and I wanted to be a blazing bonfire. But you know what? When somebody, have you ever seen somebody that's on fire, like in real life? You don't want to be around that guy, do you? Because they're going to burn you, right? Or they're going to cut your ear off because they're passionate and reckless. And so I would have days when I was passionate, and I felt like, man, I'm saved. I'm living a good life. My ministry is good. But then I would fall. I would sin. And then I'd be like, man, I don't even know if I'm the real deal. And so doubt just kept hitting me. Uh, it was like this roller coaster. I'm good, I'm not good. I'm good, I'm not good. I was on this passionate, reckless roller coaster. I don't know if anybody in here can identify with me in that. And then there was Kelly. Hmm. I remember the first time I saw Kelly. It was an FCA meeting. She was across the way. And there was a song going through my head. If I was your boyfriend, I'd never let you go. You know what I'm talking about? 
She had a song going on in her head. Beat it, beat it. She was like, ew, get away. I was like, I like it. I like it when a woman resists her deepest desires. And so I pulled an Arnold Schwarzenegger on her. I said, I'll be back. Three years later, uh, spring semester of my senior year, uh, I turned on the Burmese tiger, and she couldn't resist the trap. And uh, it was something like that. Um, and uh, 11 months later, we were married. So that's a, that's a quick story of that. Uh, our dating time was just incredible, incredibly um, just full of, like, passion, you know? Not, I'm not talking about, like, immoral passion, but I'm talking about passion, you know? We just... We loved each other, you know, we, we just knew we were for one another, and, and uh, we made Hallmark movies look like nothing. I mean, it was disgustingly awesome. It was sickening, and I loved it. But the moment that we said, I do, it was like reality put this pin in our helium balloon of love, and it just sank to the earth and came crashing down, and reality set in. At the same time, I had uh, taken an internship in Durham, North Carolina at a Baptist church as a youth intern, uh, making $150 a week. And I also was making, uh, working with a builder for $5 an hour, toting lumber in the mud. And um, Kelly was in, in the middle of student teaching. She was covered up with that, so she didn't have much time for me. And then my grandfather, at the same time, my grandfather had a heart attack. At that time, I had had nobody die in my family. And he almost died. And so my world was beginning to be sh uh, shook up. One of Kelly's friends from high school got, uh, died. And then a 12-year-old boy that we knew got hit while he was riding his bike on the side of the road. And so death was, had entered into my world. Um, I wasn't really, I was looking at my life going, is this it? Kind of when you leave college, listen, if you're in college, sometimes when you leave, you come to back down to reality. And, you, and I was thinking, this is it. This is what life is all about. And, and I also was carrying a lot of seeds of um, um, guilt from the seeds that I had sown back in high school and, and college. And the question, am I truly saved? That question started to come to the forefront of my mind and my heart. Am I really his? I was tired of this. And I, and I felt like, you know, for me, it just felt like I needed something more. People would say, you need to put your faith in Jesus. I was like, I know that, but I just don't feel like that's enough for me. And so uh, I started seeking things. Like um, I, I sought the gift of tongues. I sought a uh, second baptism. I was like, there's, there's something I need to, to, that needs to happen to me. But at the end of the day, all of these seekings that I sought for were not satisfying that desire in me. And I remembered that there had been a, pre a street preacher when I had been in college who had come to what we called the brickyard where people would come and preach. And I had had some correspondence with him. And he was one of these guys that was, he, he met my my criteria for someone that loved Jesus. He was passionate. He was bold. He was even kind of rude and abrasive. 
and he appeared to have given it all up for Jesus. He was living in a, a bus, and um, so I got back in touch with this guy, and he convinced me of three things. Number one, he, he convinced me that he was the only one that had truth. Be careful of that. Beware of that. He also convinced me that the church, the entire church, was apostate. That it all had gone astray from Jesus. And the third thing he convinced me, of, which wasn't hard, he told me, you're not saved. And so after I had been convinced of these three things, I began to wrestle with the truth of what would happen if I take this man's advice and act upon it. And he told me, he took verses like Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me, this is Jesus speaking, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And so I began to take these verses and say, you know what? I am tired, I'm sick and tired of wondering whether I'm saved or not. And I'm going to settle this thing right here and now. And so I'm not going to go to hell. And I'm going to give it everything I've got. I pressed that button inside of me, that strong-willed button. And I was going to go uh, give every fiber of my body to prove to Jesus to prove to God that I loved him and that I wanted to be his disciple. And I didn't care if I lost my wife. I didn't care if I lost my reputation. And I didn't care what happened to me. I just wanted to, to silence this voice once and for all within me. And so I began, uh, I drew out my sword like Peter. And I began to be passionate but reckless. And I isolated myself from the church. I began to see anyone that goes to church as an enemy. And um, I want to warn, warn you, um, one of the first signs that you're going astray is when you pull back from the body. I want to, I want to, you don't think it. I didn't think it. I would tell myself, even in college, I was like, I get more out of, you know, being at home and read my Bible than I do in the congregation. And yeah, I'm a pretty good Christian when I'm by myself, right? Because I ain't got to love nobody, and I'm good at loving me. But I, wanna, I just want to give that warning. Maybe you're, that's your, your mindset. You know, I don't really need the body. And that was my, my mindset then, so I isolated myself. And when we do that, that's when the enemy likes to separate that, that weak sheep from the flock and attack it. Secondly, I quit my job, and I began reading the Bible from sunup to sundown. And God was kind. He sent people into my life that cared about me, that loved me, my, my in-laws, my parents, friends from the church, friends from college. But I had, like I said, I had pressed that button, that strong will button. My shields had gone up. My face was like Flint. You ain't, you ain't changing my mind. I'm not listening to you anymore. And as you might guess, this caused a little bit of turmoil at home. Uh, me and Kelly were not uh, seeing eye to eye on this. And shamefully, I took Ephesians 5 and was telling her, you need to, you know, I'm the head of the home. You need to submit to me and you, you need to quit going to church. I was twisting the scriptures so that she would do what I had told her 
she needed to do. And so there was this conflict going on between me and her. And on the top of that, we found out that we were pregnant with Joshua at the time. And so there's a lot. Think of all the things going on in my life. And um, after a season of conflict, she wisely separated from me because she knew that I had asked her to do something that was against what she should do. I told her, you need to withdraw from the flock of God. And so she, not to divorce me, but she withdrew so that she could be a part of what God had called her to do. And she didn't want to support me in my decision of sin or be a part of my destruction. And, you know, the strange thing about that is the night she left, I can remember I was talking to one of my best friends who, at the time. He was still trying to reach out to me. His name was Matt Maka. He was, we were sitting at the, the table in my apartment. And inside my mind, I said, you know, I've done it. I've done it. I've given up my most prized possession, my wife. I've loved Jesus more than my wife. And there was this, like, excitement. I mean, it's hard to believe this, but there was this excitement in me, like, I've done it. Okay. And I can remember being on this high. But then I went to bed, and I woke up the next morning. It was like a ton of bricks and depression were upon me, and I realized, okay, that's not enough. I'm bored, too, at my, my story sometimes, so don't worry. <laughs> so, uh, so I realized that that's not enough. So I'm going to go keep going. And I would spend, the, the like I said, from sunup to sundown reading the Bible. And uh, God did something one night, and I don't, you know, I've, I've struggled with whether I was going to share this or not, but I'm going to. And I don't know, I still don't know why he did this, but. One night I was reading through the book of John, and um, I was in John 14, and this is the passage right here, um, where uh, Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. And, and right when I read that, the part that's underlined, I was in my, it was late at night, I was in my bedroom. I saw this flash like lightning. It wasn't in the room, it was in my inner man. And I saw this, this uh, silhouette of a man in my soul that I believe is the Lord Jesus. And the reason I believe that is because it was, in, it was like that. That's how fast it was. But in that moment, I knew that Jesus was, ho this man was holy and pure and that he was good. And I also, at the, in the same instance, was aware of my sinfulness my shamefulness, and that I don't, didn't deserve him. And in the same instance, I realized he wanted me. He wanted to use me. And all that in one, in one second. And it caused me to fall off my bed onto the ground. And, I was, and, and if you know me, you know I don't tell those kind of stories. I, and, and I was hesitant to share it because 
I'm not sharing my testimony for you to be seeking an experience like that. But I can say I know that he lives because I saw him in the spirit. And, and as I was continuing on, my life still didn't change. But as I was continuing, continuing on, I, I saw scriptures like Matthew 10, that says, Whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So I said, you know what? I'm going to have a public ministry because I don't want to be accused of being ashamed of Jesus. So, y'all ready? Man, this is so bad. I went out and started picketing churches. Um, this is so bad. Because in my mind, they're apostate, right? And I, cared, I did care about the people. I wanted everyone to know. So I made signs that... Uh, like lined up down one of these driveways of the church. It said the first one said stand up, second one said sit down, third one said stand up, sing a song, third one said sit down, pass the plate, the last one said go to Ryan's for lunch. <laughs> Y'all shouldn't be laughing at that. I at the time we were living in Raleigh, North Carolina, and my in-laws went to church there, and I loved my in-laws. If you're listening to this, Nana, I love you, and Papa. But I went to their church with a sign, stood out in the front, and it said, Jesus is not here. Yeah, they, for some reason they didn't like that. Um, but I would do crazy things like that, trying to warn people, trying to uh, talk to people. I was preaching Jesus is the way. I knew that. I wasn't preaching against Jesus. I was like, he is the way. But you guys have, have bought into a false religion. And so, so even as I was myself trying to seek salvation, I was trying to warn everybody. And after a while, I decided that I was going to sell the rest of everything I had, give it away. And I got into my uh, Honda Civic hatchback, 1986, got in it, and drove out west uh, to Colorado. I ended up in Colorado Springs. While I was there, I did the same ministry there, uh, picketed focus on the family, um, also got arrested a few times. I hitchhiked from um, Colorado Springs all the way up to the Mormon Temple in Salt Lake City, Utah, um, to preach to them, to let them know that they were headed in the wrong direction. They arrested me. Uh, it was just not a good thing. I ended up in Yellowstone for a season, uh, lived there, worked there. Okay, hold on. I can see y'all's eyes. It's like, God's changed my life. We're going to get to that in just a second, okay? <laughs> this is not our kind of, this is not where the church is headed, I promise you. Mm. I know, right? Uh, ended up in Yellowstone, worked there for a season, um, and I had a, I went backpacking there. And I was, uh, you know, I was like, for some reason I got in my head, I need to stay out in the wilderness for 40 days. You know, Jesus went to the wilderness for 40 days and 40, 40 nights. So I would, why are you laughing about, JC? <laughs> I, I just see this vision of Woodstock. <laughs> <laughs> so while I was in the, I would stay out nine days at a time until my food ran out, hiked 11, 16 miles a day through mosquito-infested Swamplands because the runoff from the from the snow was still there and and I was just going putting my body through harsh harsh treatment and I was crying out to God God 
Save me. I want you to know I love you. I want to be your disciple. And, and um, it didn't matter what I did. I always had to do something else to kind of get back up to here. And to make a long story short, in August of 1995, I was in my car. It was late at night, and I was driving from Colorado Springs up to Denver. And as I was driving... As I was driving, I came to the end of myself. I was tired, and I basically yelled to the Lord. I remember yelling up to heaven, it doesn't matter what I do, it's never good enough. And it was like God said, amen. And that's when I decided to give up come home and try to reconcile with Kelly. There was no big event. There was nothing major that happened other than I'm just quitting and I'm going to go home and reconcile with Kelly. And so long story short, in that we got back together and uh, there was no big um, commitments made. Let's just get back together. And we started being faithful in just little things. I got a job framing houses, we started attending church together, and I just laid low for, for several years because I knew, you know, I'm not in a place to try to do anything for God. And over time, God has been faithful to redeem us. And as I've been thinking about what have I learned from this, what was going on in me during this time, I think it's something that all of us, whether you're aware of it or not, we're all performers. We all want to do something to show that we're not what we feel sometimes. And so we sometimes do things, even things that we don't want to do, but we know that if we do them, they will make us look a certain way. And that was strongly ingrained in my spirit. But what I've realized are, are a few things. Number one, I realized that I was seeking for something that didn't exist. I was seeking for this one-time like hit from God that would finally make me excited, and I would never need another uh, touch of that. But we live in a fallen world, and we are fallen people. And so... You know, there's no such thing as a perfect friend or a perfect spouse or perfect marriage or perfect family. Quit looking for that. There's not a perfect church. There isn't. You know, there's people that, you know, that uh, when we come to church, when you first walk in, it's like, man, I love this. This is cool. This is what I want to be a part of. And, and that's cool if God's bringing you here. But I want to tell you something. If you hang around long enough, you're going to realize we're just like everybody else in a lot of ways. We all need a Savior. You're going to be disappointed if you put your faith in the church because we are a broken people living in a broken world who need a perfect Savior. So the first thing I, I realized is that I was seeking for something that didn't exist. Secondly, I realized that salvation is simple. I was trying to do something magnificent to prove to God 
that I loved him. That's not salvation. That's backwards. Because what the scriptures teach is that Jesus loved us first and proved it so that we would stop trying to prove to him how good we are and we would lay down our lives. I hadn't gotten that. Uh, I don't know when it happened, but at some point, God showed me a verse. And this is my life verse, John 6, 29. What was I asking all these years? I was like, what do I got to do? That's what I was asking. And here's what he, he answers in John 6, 29. This is what you got to do. This is the work of God. This is what you got to do if you want to make God happy. That you what? Believe in who? Him whom he has sent. That you would put your faith in his work, in him, in his love, in his care, not your own. And what I've learned is, listen, when I do that, when I quit trying to save myself, because I want to be honest with you, there's times that these feelings come back up in me, like, I still don't feel, feel saved. Does, does anyone else struggle with that, that there's times you don't feel saved? Nobody? Okay, I do. <laughs> Not either. <laughs> That's how it can be at church, isn't it, Nancy? Did you raise your hand? Okay, thank you. And whenever those fires rage up in me, this, this verse puts it out. What do I got to do? I've already done everything I could do. I lost my wife. I lost my kids. I sold everything. I gave it away. I lived in, the, in my car. I, I hiked up and down mountains. I preached to hundreds of people. I was humiliated. Everyone literally hated me who knew me at the time. And it wasn't enough. What else do I got to do? This is the verse. Believe. Believe in him whom he has sent. God is not looking for us to do great things or accomplish great things for him. That's what Peter was trying to do. And he made a mess. And Jesus had to clean it up. And Jesus had to clean up my mess that I had made during that season. And he does it, has to clean up my mess on a regular basis. And that's the beautiful thing about God and his gospel. Because when, when Peter cut off that dude's ear, Jesus didn't go, you're done. He said, just chill. I got this. And he cleaned up the mess. And that's what Jesus wants to do in all of our lives. Chill. Believe in me. Rest. Believe that I love you. And see what comes out of you. See what happens. See what begins to come out of you. A stream of living water. And it's a daily thing. It's not a zap of electricity from heaven, a lightning bolt. It's a daily thing. And I was wanting to be this blazing bonfire, and Jesus is like, no, just be a candle. <laughs> just be a faithful candle. Because when the church comes together, that's where the bonfire comes bright. He desires to be the one to get the glory, and he should. And if I'm, you know, being a bonfire, I, I want people to go, man, he's, that dude's awesome, right? I mean, that's what I'm basically doing. But a candle, you know, so, you know, what's so big about a candle? But that's what we are. Faithful should be faithful candles. The last thing is, and this is an awesome thing about God, is God can heal and redeem and fix anything you've done. God can and will. I thank my wife for being faithful. Uh, I thank her 
for what for her being um, for separating at the time. It didn't feel good at the time, but if she had not, I could still be out there. But God used that in my life. And if you're young people, young people, listen, I want I want you to understand something, and um, I understand what it's like to be passionate. Um, God made you that way. And I want you to know that this church welcomes you and your passion. Okay? But I want to warn you, don't be a James. Don't be a reckless, have reckless passion. And you know how you can do that? Get around some of us old people. Because, you know, we kind of can lose our passion, right? And when you bring passion and wisdom together in the body of Christ, God is glorified, okay? So we all need each other. We all need each other. And I just want to encourage you, uh, just to remind you, salvation is simple. You ain't got to climb no mountain, go down to any valley. You don't have to hang on a cross. Believe what Jesus did for you, and you'll be saved. Let's pray.